I was extremely excited to put this particular podcast episode online. I have been wondering for a very long time how to introduce to you Joe Marks. I think by the title you will have guessed that um, that this will be a somewhat eclectic talk. <laughs> We are shifting gears many times around the discussion, but all very interesting um, themes around this idea of healthcare. And this is probably to the image of Joe Marks. He is the executive director at the Center for Machine Learning and Health at CMU. Um, there's so much to be talking about in terms of his career, and you will hear a little bit about it during the show. But he did his undergraduate and graduate work at Harvard University, expert uh, in AI, human-computer interaction, computer graphics, um, but also extremely knowledgeable, as you will shortly tell, <laughs> on the uh, corporate entrepreneurial side, so the whole business acumen as well. It is positively one of the greatest minds, I, I think a real polymath, and I hope that you will have as much pleasure listening to this chat as we've had having it. So, Joe, thank you so much for taking the time today. Um, I'm very curious. You have worked before with other industries. I think you were uh, uh, working with Disney prior to your current position. How, what are things that you can actually transfer from one industry to another and that you see happening in healthcare right now? So I think that there's, there's some techno technologies that um, transcend industries. Um, so that's one thread that I definitely see. It's surprising how... I've actually worked in multiple industries for different companies, um, and uh, it's the same technology that gets applied in these for different applications. So that's one thread, and we could talk about that at some point. But the, the thing that's most relevant, I think, from Disney to healthcare is a, a focus on the consumer experience. Um, when you go to a Disney theme park, there's an awful lot of work going on behind the scenes to make that a unique and wonderful experience for you and your family. Um, a unique and wonderful experience. That's not a phrase you typically describe to going to a healthcare provider. Um, but I think the more innovative healthcare providers are thinking about how they can become more, I'll use Disney's term, guest focused, um, and focus more on the, the guest experience uh, when they come in. And I think there's a lot of, it's mostly design thinking, but it's also training of staff and it's also just a mindset that people are going to come in and um, and have a, a good experience uh, it's not quite the same thing entertainment is certainly not the same as undergoing therapy but but focusing on um, on, on them getting as positive an experience as they can given their particular circumstances and, um, and I think it's, it's an interesting point you bring because the idea of going to the talk doctor is actually very counterintuitive than when you go to Disney because the, the frame of mind in which you are I mean this is like people working in you know in a sales uh, calling centers right um, I'm always amazed because they get all of the customers that are unhappy and calling it's probably the worst moment possible and I think healthcare is a little bit like that we go to the doctor in that moment of crisis so it's it's an interesting even though it's inspired by it it's probably different in some degree because your your starting point is actually in a crisis moment oh absolutely well not always there's a certain amount of uh, routine um, um, uh, visits um, that particularly for chronic disease patients where it's not going to be a crisis but they're coming in again and again 
um, for the same tests, for the um, same therapies. Um, and I would say, yeah, crisis is another thing. When it's life and death, you know, you're not thinking about the, you know, is the guest having a great experience, you're just saving their lives. But if somebody's coming in for their, their physiotherapy or they're coming in for their regular, um, to, to draw blood or test like that, um, one can bring, I think, uh, a, a user experience perspective to making that better. So um, let me ask you this. When we're looking at the overhead and the cost associated to improving an experience, where do we draw that line? We know that the, the healthcare system is already an expensive system. We have an aging population, chronic diseases sprouting. Why is it important to invest in your experience as a patient when you walk in? Um, I, I, I I think there's a business reason for it. People can now switch plans. They can switch healthcare providers. They can switch insurers, and they do. Um, often looking for the best deal, but I think another part of that equation can be um, the the guest experience, and one can develop a brand with that. I mean, Disney's theme parks. There's a lot of theme parks out there. Um, there is something a little more magical about Disney because there is a uh, just a greater attention spent to to the, the experience and it comes right from the CEO down. I, uh, early on uh, when I was working at Disney I was in a group with the CEO we were walking through a theme park to go look at some new development or something like that and he was talking and he was kind of leading the group people were listening and as he was talking he saw a piece of litter on the ground and without breaking his train of thought he kept talking but he went over and he picked up the litter put it in the trash can and kept moving on. Didn't draw attention to it, but the message sort of was clear to everybody. It's like everybody's responsibility to this company from the CEO down. We don't have litter in theme parks. We don't, people do go out and, and paint things nightly to make sure they look good. That level of detail, it translates to that better experience and it's totally part of the culture um, and it's expected of everybody. Um, that kind of thinking can translate to other industries. It can translate to healthcare. If, if every healthcare organization does adopt an approach that's very uh, patient-centric, would you end up having a new standard which would be shared by everyone and it would be the same solutions? Or would you still have different ways in which that can be expressed? Would a hospital be different from the neighboring hospital if both of them decide to be Oh, I, I think you could totally brand the experience and have differences associated with it. Um, and... Um, um, I'd like to think that, that we will see that over time uh, uh, coming up. Um, and uh, I mean, take around behavioral health, and some, some health plans do this, and healthcare providers, they'll pay for your gym membership or um, they'll help you with uh, healthier eating and, and um, buying groceries or, or, or prepared meals. Well, just those two things alone, if you're trying to get people to exercise, trying to get people to eat better, there's a hundred different ways one might approach that, and they might be distinctive from one plan, one provider to the next. Um, and I think as there's more competition for people's dollars and more design thinking in there, one might look to a future where um, it will be different from one to the next, but they'll all have something interesting and then it'll be... Um, finding the right match. And right, find, yeah, the, for you, what one works for you or what one works for your family. Um, yeah. Okay. And, and when we're looking at this idea of design thinking, it's very interesting. So I'm, of course, very biased because I think it, it brings something great. Um, I, I also have had the, the luck of the fortune of navigating numbers and being in that space with data analytics and, and doing that kind of work, too. 
and the way I look at them, they are, you know, tools in a toolbox and they do work together in my opinion. But I, I did see this conversation in our community not long ago where people were saying, well, design thinking was a trend, it was a fad, it's we're writing it out right now, and they're not from the healthcare industry, so it's granted it's probably seen from a different lens. But it was basically this debate of what's next. A lot of people started suggesting things in regards to data. And um, also a lot of people said, well, yeah, like it's it's been very popular, it's become mainstream and we're done. My sense was more it's actually starting because if it were mainstream, then things like, you know, discovery phases would be end in our budgeting, uh, you know, in our financial departments, which they're not currently. It's, mm-hmm. it's a completely different mindset. So I'm, I'm trying to understand in the greater scheme of things is design thinking really mainstream and a dying fad is it only starting um and is it really in contradiction can we talk about data and design as polar opposites um how how do these different tools fit together well it's certainly not a fad that's that that'd be like saying you know mathematics is a fad we'll kind of get we'll get over that and we can use something else no it's it's a fundamental tool um anything that involves humans and, and, and human experience, design thinking is going to be important for it. I think it could be more widely adopted than it is, particularly in some industries. Um, and um, so it's not going to go away. I, I do think there's a lot of headroom for adoption in some industries and some of the companies I've worked at. Uh, I'm already thinking of a couple of anecdotes, which I can't repeat because <laughs> they make the companies look bad. But um, um, yeah, design thinking is is is, it's, it's, it's on a growth phase, I would say. Um, I think part of what holds it back is it's hard to do. Um, there are only so many good designers in the world, and uh, um, they, it, it, I, I think that's maybe a bottleneck to, to, to adoption. And also having people understand, you know, who, who makes the decisions to, to, to buy design thinking or incorporate into a company? People who typically would go through a business school type orientation. I, I don't know, I haven't looked at the, the, the curriculum of, of our business school here at Carnegie Mellon or elsewhere, but I'd sort of be willing to take a small bet that there's no course on design thinking or there's no course that exposes um, the, the, the business school students to what that could do. So, but they might be the ones in yeah. control. Maybe I, you can I think, correct me on this. Yeah, they, there are a couple, but I would say they're very introductory. And I think the, the way design thinking tends to be taught is more of um, here are tools you can use. And so people equate post-its with design thinking. And I think to your point, a deeper understanding of what it brings, of the mindset and, and the shifts that need to happen, these are often you know only scratched at the surface. And yet they're... The, the main component of this discussion. Yes, if if I if I could sort of design the perfect curriculum, I don't think this would scale in terms of cost. But I'm not a designer. I'd love to have those skills. I don't have them. But the way I came to appreciate design thinking is by being put in charge of a project where it needed some design work and working with the designers, and and maybe going that extra mile and working more closely with them to see what they were doing, and to learn to appreciate their thought processes what they do. I remember a particular task that I was given where the designers came in with three or four options. They had listened to what I'd said was important. I could see how they were reflected in the designs. I couldn't have done it myself, but I got to really understand what they had been thinking and and to value um, what they had done. And then I kind of came away from that experience. I think that was wonderful. We came out with something quite wonderful. I sort of understood, or at least could observe the process 
and then the sobering thought, gee, I wish I'd done that with a lot of other things too. <laughs> I wish I could afford to do that on other things. Um, it is it expensive. Really quite enriching. It is expensive. And, but and you're, you're quality paying... costs, no matter what you're that buying. That is true. And and I do have to say that I think the one thing that stops a lot of people is you're you're, you're signing a chèque en blanc, as we say in France, uh, mm-hmm. and in French, right? Because you you don't know, and that's the point of design thinking. You don't always know what you're selling for at the get-go, and most organizations are set up to you know budget according to the outcome that you're promising to deliver so i think there's an interesting dynamic in terms of roi and how we measure things there is and there's an interesting analog with technology r&d which is really my world it's like the same thing you don't know when you invest in it you know most r&d projects don't work out actually um and um but to get the ones that do and to learn uh, about the space you you have to you have to invest i had a friend who used to say that uh Uh, technology R&D for big companies, it was like elephant polo. Polo is already an expensive sport for the expensive league. Elephant polo, you got to have a lot of money. Uh, I don't know if design thinking is quite elephant polo, but but the point is well taken. It's not, it's hard to do well on the cheap, mm-hmm. um, but that's true in a lot of things. Very true. Okay, very interesting. Um, I will shift gears um, because I know we're a little bit tight on the time, but I'm very curious to hear, we were talking at some point about data in the healthcare space, so I am shifting gears mm-hmm. quite at, at the opposite spectrum here, but um, is data privacy when you're looking at healthcare the same as any other type of privacy or are there things that we actually should be mindful of? No, it's it's, it's very different. Anything that's, that's biometric um, is potentially you can't once it's stolen once it's compromised you can't fix that um, you lose your credit card um, you can get a new credit card and a new credit card number literally overnight I've done it multiple times and it, it's it's a minor irritation if you lose your fingerprint your your um, your iris scan um, your voice print your genomic data you can't undo the consequences of that if it's once out there and that's a fundamental difference of, of biometric data And the consequences of that are severe. Imagine we end up, let's say, in the commercial world where we're paying for everything with a fingerprint or, or, or an iris scan. Well, if that gets compromised, does that mean you can't then pay that way anymore? Which would literally be the, the, the result of it. So, um, or, or your, your biomedical data, you know, the world could now know you have that condition and therefore your employability might be an issue. Um, um, and you can't, you can't easily change it. And, and, and it's hard to prove also. I'm guessing as an individual, if you're going to say you've been discriminated for such and such reason, it may be hard to track that path of the data. Totally, exactly. And um, so that's, I, I think that's that's one reason. The data itself is intrinsically different. This notion that um, if it's compromised, that, that can't be undone. The other part of it that's a, a little, that's also similar is that there are, illegal activities that scale commercially around the data. Um, they're the things I worry about. Theoretical ways of compromising data, if there's no way to make money off it, it's only ever going to be a minor irritation because people won't spend their time on them. But if there is a way to make money at scale from compromising the data, you really do need to worry about it because there are people who will figure that out and who whose livelihoods that will become. Um, and unfortunately, with, with medical data, there are ways. It's different. If, if I steal credit card number, what I do is I make fraudulent charges. I buy airline tickets or I buy items, and that's how I make the money off of that. The ways of making money off of stealing um, um, 
biomedical data are different. Uh, ransomware is a, is a popular way to do that. Fraudulent billing is another way to do that. Um, people are inventing new ways of doing that. Um, and But there's money involved and there's ways to, to take advantage of stealing 100,000 people's medical records or billing records. And so there's both an incentive for the bad guys to do this, quite a good commercial incentive, and it has this nature that if it's compromised once, it's compromised for all time. That combination is deadly. <laughs> it is. Is it, from a traceability point of view, does it change the paradigm though? Because how many people in the world would have the know-how to both extract that type of confidential information, the access or opportunity to do so, and the ability to process and understand what it is that they have and sell it? They don't, they don't need to be many if it scales well. Um, But could you identify them? Like, are they likely to have gone to a university, to have been registered somewhere? Can we... I, they they certainly will have technical skills, um, but I, and, and, you know, this is really a question for law enforcement of how they go and track this down, but mm. I don't think there's a shortage of people relative to the opportunity. Okay. Um, and, um, and, and uh, yeah, that's, and they may be in jurisdictions that where it's hard to, to, to intervene. Um, and where the economics are such that it, it's actually, a, unfortunately, a good lifestyle to, to, to for people to pursue. I learned this at Disney, where, where um, you know, stolen copies of movies and, and, and counterfeit toys and things like that were an issue. And the realization was that the people who do this, this counterfeiting, this is their job, profession. It's how they put food on the table for their families. They take pride in their work, and that's. It, it, it made me realize that that um, this isn't going to go away. This is it's the family business in many cases, and they often do it really, really well. And it's just an economically rational decision for them to do that for where they're at in terms of uh, of harnessing their skills. And it's hard to blame people for. For that in quite the same way. Uh, it's not like they decided, oh, I could be a legitimate software engineer and then I could do this. One of these might be the difference between being able to support your family and not in certain parts of the world. Um, but, but that makes it only more frightening because then this isn't going to go away. It, it isn't, for example, you know, two teenage boys and they're, they're, you know, saying we'll take a break from our video games to go hack, you know, somebody. That does happen, but that's at the irritant level. But what this is, is professional careerists who make their living by stealing data and compromising it. Right, which, which suggests to us that we can foresee patterns because it's got to be something that's you know worthy of their time, that's large enough to like warrant that kind of money. So there's exactly it, it gives us some it indication. gives us some handles where we might be able to deal with it, but um, and it, and it gives it a predictability. Mm. Um, but that doesn't make it any easier. Right. Okay. You know, in the movie industry, a, a rule of thumb is is if you can prevent the movie from being compromised for, I think it's two to three weeks after release, that's a success. So it's not a question of, of if it'll be uh, available, <laughs> leaked. Um, uh, leaked, it's when. And what you're shooting for is two or three weeks after the release date. Any sooner than that is, is, is bad. And if it, it's, if it leaked before the release, which sometimes happens, that's that's a disaster. Right. Um, but it's it's not that it's, it's you know, we'll stop it happening. It's just a question of when. Okay, so let me ask one last thing just to close up this uh, this reflection. I think 
you also bring in sometimes an, an interesting perspective when it comes to those wet markets because the way we track and the um, array of actions we can take in terms of law enforcement is different when you're dealing with a black market than when you're dealing with a free market. Um, and specifically and an, and those, an international black market. Okay. Yes. yes, and spe- specifically for those transactions. Can you just um, walk us through a little? Because I think most people don't realize when they're giving up pieces of their DNA to like, you know, a company in the basement. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am not sure they understand how how perilous it can end up being. And I think the, oh, the legislations I'm, I'm, will probably shift over time. Yeah, I'm sure I'm sure that that's not well understood. And some of the things we've been talking about here, the fact that, that those breaches can't be undone, the fact that there are ways that people can make money off of your data um, and, and that, that smart people are working very hard to find other ways to, to, to do that. I think that's news to a lot of people, um, and uh, and as I said, unfortunately, it may become news to them when 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 the data gets stolen and when it's too late to do something. Right. And uh, I, I think one of the things we're going to have to deal with was this idea that if if I want to track you and you're using the, this kind of data legally, I cannot uh, complete the payment. Right? I can only go up that, until that's a right. The, point. the ability to to research and look at some gain some transparency on this is is limited. Um, you, you can go on the dark web and request to buy stolen credit card numbers, stolen uh, medical records, um, uh, counterfeit medicines. Um, but what you can't do is um, um, complete the transaction. That's then an illegal act. Um, and so there's, there's academic researchers, even commercial researchers, there's a limit to what they can find out to, uh, in this space that, that only law enforcement can do. Um, it's, it's, it's difficult. Very interesting. Thank you so much for your time today. You're welcome. You've been listening to Healthcare Focus, where we take you behind the scenes of the healthcare system. I'm Karina Faraskiv, and I've been your host.